Sports.com, Stitcher.com, iTunes. You can subscribe to this lovely, sexy, wonderful podcast for free. Tune in media for your mobile devices, Google Play Podcasts, and we are also on Spotify. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to the show that we so lovingly call Bow on Bulls. The show totally, utterly, and foreverly dedicated to the Chicago Bulls and NBA talk. I am Big Dave. I'll see you, Dub. Dub, I don't even want to waste no time. <laughs> I want to get right to this. So, our guests say he had all the time in the world. He had nothing to do. Yeah, but this is chilling, watch, me, watch the game, chilling, you know, eating some food, watch the game. I know, man, but I'm nerding out right he now. Wait, really man. Know. Wait, he ain't doing <laughs> I, I can't. That's like, I can't. Oh, okay. I'm nerding out. I can't. Okay. All right. So, I've been trying to figure out how to introduce this guest, like, since he told me he would actually grace us and come on the show. I've been trying to figure out how to introduce him, and I couldn't figure it out. So, I figured. <laughs> I figured the best way to do it is just basically to tell a story. So I'll tell a story. All right. So when I was doing Bulls Outsiders, doing, you know, I love doing Bulls Outsiders. It's amazing. And after every show, I would call Chris. Uh, and we would talk about the show, how it looked, how it went, um, you know, what was funny, what he liked. And then we talk about the game, you know, just, you know, random things. And I was having one conversation with Chris and I said, well, Chris, you know, one time, man, um, I said, you know what, Chris, today Mark walked in and, you know, we started talking about and Chris said, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> he said, dude, you know, Mark Shanowski. <laughs> I said, dude, I know Mark Shanowski. And we just started laughing and thought it was absolutely and completely ridiculous that what I do afforded me <laughs> this, this, the fact that I get to know this person right here, man. I have been watching him for I don't know how long. I've been looking up to him for I don't know how long. Always just watch him and I feel at ease when I watch him do a show. Seeing him do his job and do what he did while I was doing Bulls Outsiders was amazing. I was just sitting there studying and soaking it in and just watching it, man. I'm, I was just blown away, man. He's honestly one of my favorites to watch and it's been one of my favorites for a very long time. I'm very happy that he is back in on the local scene, on the local mm -hmm. media scene, man, because he is back. He was on ABC ABC Seven Chicago. I'm gonna redo that. <laughs> He's back <laughs> on the local media scene at ABC Seven Chicago, and he's also on his "Gimme the Hot Sauce" podcast where he hosts along with the great Stacey King. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark Shanowski. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only Mark Shanowski. Wow, that was something. I tell you what, after that introduction, I should ask to get paid for this. I mean, this is pretty impressive stuff. <laughs> well, you know, you, you told us, man, you know, you scrubbed for, for some cash, man, on podcast. So. <laughs> you, know, you know, anything you give us will be an improvement for what we're getting. <laughs> <laughs> so trust me. But Mark, hey, I, thank got, you. I got a story to tell. I got a sure. story to tell before we go into this. Sure. You know, sure. Uh, our, our good friend, Kevin Anderson, Bulldog, went back in the days when uh, – Bulls Outsiders was just a concept that they were thinking of. He asked me, he said, hey, would you mind taking a look at some of the auditions that we did and, and give me some feedback on who you think was good and who was not so good? And, you know, I looked at most of the people that came through. I don't think I saw everybody. 
But I said, the one guy you got to have on the show is Big Dave. I said, Big Dave is fantastic. Come so on, you got my seal of approval right from the start, my man. Come on, Mark. Don't do this to me, Mark. <laughs> Come on, Mark. Don't do Mark, this to me, man. Mark, Mark, he would not. He would he he worry about the auditions. You know, he will be like, am I right? I said, Dave, I know you're dead. You're fine. Like, I know no, you're good. This, this is what you're, like, built for. Like, this is you. Yeah. And he's all concerned and everything. I'm like, dude, you got it. Don't worry about it. I'm like, so. No, trust me, because I had a horrible day that day, Mark. Like, I, I trust my, my Uber broke down on the way there. I had to walk. I got lost. I had somebody walk me over there. I still didn't know where I was going. My phone went out when yeah. I was charged. It was I, I, I didn't have a, uh, my phone to call the uh, Uber to get home. I had to catch a cab. The cab didn't know where my car was. I couldn't call Chris. To know it, was, it was crazy. Like, it was a crazy day, and everybody was great. And you know the saying, Mark, like, when everybody's good, then you're usually the one that isn't. <laughs> I was like, everybody was really good. So I'm like... <laughs> Well, maybe it's me. Maybe I just want good, man. And man, dude, no, that's crazy, Mark. Thank you, man. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, do you believe me, Mark? Dave, do you believe me no. now? That you? Oh, no, no, I believe Mark. That's what I believe. Oh, Go ahead, Mark. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. And the funny thing is that you know everyone, if they were doing odds on uh, most likely to be selected for Bulls Outsiders, I mean, C Red Fred was the odds-on favorite, and yeah. you know he he brought his C Red Fred that night, but uh, <laughs> you blew him away. <laughs> Yeah, Matt always told me that's the only good thing he liked about Fred is that he brought me into his life. <laughs> well, uh, I love their, I love some of their Twitter battles. It's just hilarious stuff, you know, because oh, C-Red throws out some just crazy stuff, and Matt never passes the opportunity to slap it down. <laughs> <laughs> never. I mean, absolutely never, Mark. Like, I'm like, how did you even see that? You know, like, how did you even – it's like he's yeah. got his alerts on. For Fred, I'm like you. Yeah. You tell me you hate him, but there's nobody you love following more than C Red Fred. Man. I mean, at the end of the season, even C Red Fred couldn't uh, defend Denzel Valentine anymore. <laughs> oh my god, he even, he even got tired of it. <laughs> oh like, man, you know, I'm ready for him to go, man, and go somewhere else. Yeah. I'm tired. Gotta go. Gotta go. It's time, <laughs> man. Like goodness, come on. It's that hard. They call me the Saint. His yeah. friend Mark calls me the the Saint C Red Fred. That's what <laughs> calls me that because I'm just as positive, but I know I know when to get off the road. Yeah, you know what I mean, I know when to get off at the exit. See, see, we're afraid we'll ride something for a long time, but eventually, though, he'll he will come to the truth with the truth with the truth approaches him. He recognizes it at some point. It is a bad time, you know, and you know, he moves forward. <laughs> yeah, it was. I love some of the crazy trades that, that people throw out. You know, he's he likes to put his poles up there. You know, where we're gonna trade. Uh, uh, Felicio and, and uh, Sato for Dame Lillard, you know, that kind of shit. <laughs> <laughs> See, Red Fred left the attention, man. Yeah, but some some of that stuff, is, you have to dig through it. Because, but some of it, you're like, you know what, that's a really good point. Like, when he comes on our show and we have conversation with him, I'll be like, you know what, that's a really good point, Fred. Like, that makes sense you would say something like And then he goes on Twitter, and I'm like, Okay, yeah, th where's this guy? I don't know this dude. Where what happened? Something happened along the way. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, that's that's my guy though. And and without Fred, like I say all the time, without Fred, I wouldn't even been on, you know, Bulls Outside. Yeah, he's the one who brought me. I'm just I'm just messing with Fred. He's a friend oh, and, yeah. and he he is so passionate about the Bulls. He knows the NBA inside and out. He is definitely a good source for Bulls information and Bulls opinions. It's just sometimes the passion just just uh makes him do crazy things on Twitter. It's you know the problem is the problem is that when he comes on our show, we check him. Twitter, you don't you don't get checked, right? You tweet and you wait. <laughs> on our show, yeah. he says something crazy. Me and Dave are like, nah, he, he cuts it off. 
<laughs> yeah, you're like, can't go there, Fred. Yeah, the good advice is always to reread your tweet before you send it. I don't think Fred does that. It's going to be called the C-Red Fred rule. The C-Red Fred rule, yes. He yeah. sure something. Absolutely, man. Um, Mark, man, I, I do have a couple questions for you. Um, so yeah. I just wanted to know personally for, for myself. Um, one, I, I mean, I know you don't, you probably don't, know this but i mean you're looked up to by i don't know how many people honestly it's just the truth but i want to know who did you look up to in media that made you say okay i really want to do this or i really can do this well it's interesting today kind of took me back to my youth um a good friend of mine who still works in milwaukee media did an interview with the original Milwaukee Bucks broadcaster, a guy by the name of Eddie Doucette, who actually did some national work on USA Network back when they had the NBA package a long time ago. And he did the NBA draft for a number of years. But Eddie started as, you know, a young, late 20s, early 30s radio guy with the Milwaukee Bucks when they began as an expansion team in the late 1960s. And his style was so exciting. You know, this is before cable TV and, and streaming services, and, and you can get any game you want. I mean, when you saw your team on national TV, that, that was a huge thrill. Either you went to the arena or you maybe saw two or three games a year on TV. So if you were a fan of the team, you know, I had my little transistor radio in my bedroom. I'm listening to Eddie Doucette call Milwaukee Bucks games. And they were so lucky because, you know, they came into the league as an expansion team at the right. perfect time. They have a terrible first year. They win the coin flip with Phoenix for the first pick. And they get Lou Alcindor, who, of course, later became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And they won a championship two years later. They haven't won one since. So, you know, it's, it's been 50 years. And I thought this was going to be my year that I could uh, celebrate another Milwaukee title. And then Giannis has that horrible uh, knee injury yesterday. So, um, but anyway, that, back to Eddie Doucette. He had a style that was so captivating. And, and you could just visualize everything he was saying, describing the action on the court. And I just thought at that point when the Bucks came into existence, I think I was like in sixth grade. And, you know, I thought if I don't make the NBA, which was, of course, not going to happen, that that's what I'd like to do, be a broadcaster. Well, was there – well, I know you – if that's the guy you were checking uh, in media, who was the one you were modeling your actual game <laughs> after, like your actual basketball game? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, back in the day – I was playing my basketball before the three-point shot got introduced. And yes, unfortunately, I probably would have got more minutes in high school because I was a good long-range shooter. Mm -hmm. But the coach would always yell at me for shooting from too far away. If that shot would have been worth an extra point, I'd have got more <laughs> run. <laughs> Your average would have went up by, like, what, two points? Um, right. <laughs> something like that, yeah. Okay. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Difference, though. Two points is yeah. difference. No, so. it makes a major difference. What, what was your best game? Like, what was the best game that you had? Every We ask this question to every Hooper who comes on here. But what was your best game that, that you remember that you had? Well, I was just a support player, you know, in high school. I was I was the guy that got passed the ball to the two stars that we had. We actually won our Milwaukee City Championship my senior year. Oh, and wow. that was, you know, great experiences. And I still keep in touch with those guys to this day. But I was one of those guys that would never turn down an opportunity to get involved in a, in a rec league or – park district or whatever. So I, I played it up until my early forties, just playing in mm. leagues. And, and I just love to play. And, you know, when I was in my mid twenties and stuff, I, I could score pretty well in those leagues, but 
you know, most it was mostly bum slaying. There weren't a lot of great players in those leagues. <laughs> I hear you, Mark. I hear you, Mark. Uh, we got a, we got a, we got a cursing curse word for Mark. We got who saying bum slayers. I hear you, Mark. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll give credit to my guy Jason uh, Jason Goff on that. That's his favorite term. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, I mean. You know, those, those are fun times back when you thought that, that you were really good. But when you looked across the court and saw the guys you were playing, well, you really weren't that good. You just yeah. were better than everybody else. You know? Wasn't going to be the one. <laughs> let, yeah. me, uh, let me ask you, because when we had uh, Joe Cali on and he told us that coming from Cleveland, going to Chicago, Chicago was the mecca for him as far as journalism and sports journalism was concerned. Uh, he didn't want to go anywhere else. Uh, it was strictly Chicago. Was that your same mindset, or did you have another city in mind that you kind of held in that regard? No, my goal getting into broadcasting was either to do play-by-play in the NBA or get back to Milwaukee and do local sports. And mm-hmm. I was able to do that in, uh, fairly early in my career. I got a job at the ABC affiliate in Milwaukee. And, you know, I got a lot of family in Wisconsin and the Milwaukee area, and people got a chance to see me. And that was really cool, um, you know, getting a chance still to be – young enough that I was still hanging out with a lot of people I went to high school and college with and have those people get a chance to, you know, experience the, my broadcasting career as well. And when I applied for the job at channel seven, originally, I never thought I would get it. You know, they, they were looking for a, a fourth sports guy, just to do some reporting and some fill and anchoring. And I just uh, sent some clips down here, just thinking, you know, it'd be a good experience, you know, see what kind of feedback I get on my work. And the news director from WLS called me and asked me if I'd come down for an interview. Again, I still thought I won't get it. And so I just drove down. Um, Tim Weigel was the sports director at the time. And, you know, so I met everybody at the station, legends, you know, Floyd Calber, John Drury, Joel Daly, all those people are walking around the newsroom. And here I'm this uh, 30-year-old guy from Milwaukee auditioning. So, you know, I did the interview and I I thought, oh, that was cool. That was fun. And and uh and tim goes well well you're not done yet he goes we're gonna have you on set do a show and i'm like holy shit i gotta i actually have to audition by doing a show on the set so they basically gave me some scripts from the the show the night before said go to it and fortunately that went well Uh, a couple of days later the news director called and offered me the job and i had no inkling that i was going to be moving to chicago at that point and that's how it all started. 1990, I started in Chicago, and I've been here ever since. Hey, after all these years, though, um, in your career, what do you think is the one thing that people saw in you to give you that job? Looking back. Well, I, th- I think it, it has a lot to do with, uh, with my knowledge and preparation. I, I think that, you know, all the time I put in watching these games and, you know, studying statistics before – analytics became, you know, in vogue, I just felt like no one was going to outwork me, that I would always Mm -hmm. be prepared. I would have total command of the teams that I was assigned to report on. And, you know, I'm just a grinder. I was never going to miss a day. You know, thank God I've never been seriously ill. You know, I I don't know if I've ever called in sick in my life. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm always there. You know, they always say that uh, the biggest – Ability is availability. And, you know, I'm, I'm always there to answer the bell. And no matter what the sport, I mean, the first thing I they did when I, when I started Channel 7, they put me on a plane to Edmonton to cover the Blackhawks and the Oilers. And I got to tell you, the one sport I'm not real good on is hockey. So <laughs> okay. they send me on the road and go cover the Blackhawks in the playoffs. And 
first of all, I was blown away about how nice a lot of those guys were. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and second of all, uh, just how big the Stanley Cup playoffs are. Because we didn't have a professional uh, uh, NHL team in Milwaukee, so I wasn't really tuned into the whole NHL scene. Mm-hmm. And that was the first thing I had to do. And strangely enough, I, I actually, when I went back to Channel 7, I talked to somebody who knew me from the first time around. And he said one of the things I was blown away with was how well you handled hockey right away because, you know, this is a little inside the beltway, but, you know, you're, you're doing a live report. And when you're in Canada, well, actually, if you're in any city that's not Chicago, you don't have a return feed on the video. And night after night, not only was I there to get interviews and uh, do features and stuff, they wanted me to do the highlights of that night's game. Well, I, I didn't have a monitor. I couldn't see it. The only way I knew that the play would change was by hearing the background sound and the crowd reaction. So, you know, here I am, a hockey novice, doing hockey highlights with no video. I'm doing them blind. And and I guess that caught the attention of a lot of people that I was able to, to jump right in and get that done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mark. That was attention. That's wow. Dude, yeah. okay, that's that's amazing. That's that's but that goes back to what you just said. Like nobody's going to outwork me. Like no matter what the sport is, I'm gonna know it in and out. And man, that's that's incredible. Wow, I'm blown away by that. So and I was work, I was working really hard to try to learn hockey in two days, believe <laughs> I know you were. <laughs> Had you did you have any knowledge of it? Like any knowledge of hockey at all? Like even just a tiny bit before that? Well, I I, I knew the basic rules, obviously, and I knew some of the stars of the game. But in terms of, you know, going up and down the Blackhawks roster and, right. and who the third line centerman is and, yeah. and what the weaknesses of the third defensive pairing, no, I had no idea. Well, let me ask you this. How did you, how did you um, go about researching? Because we're spoiled these days. I, I, was, I was around pretty much before the, before the internet. But back then, how did you do your research? Well, the nice thing about playoffs were that there was tons of information available. I mean, both teams would flood you with information. Back then, everything's on paper. They give you these lengthy game notes that are like 25 pages long with every possible stat. And that was what I used mostly. Um, You know, I did go back with a lot of the newspapers leading up to the playoffs and look at a lot of the articles about the team. But yeah, you don't have the same access to the stuff that you do now. I mean, now you can get statistical breakdown on, on any player uh, in the minor or major leagues and and try to figure it out that way. But yeah, it, you had to be a little bit creative, but you could also get away with more because people weren't as up on that stuff either. So if you might've yeah. made a little, little bit of an exaggeration, no one's going to really catch on. <laughs> he's, like, he's six, eight, <laughs> 320 pounds. LeBron with skates. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so you get here in 1990. So obviously you arrive at the height of bullsdom and right when everything yep. is about to begin and about to kick off. Um, what was your first Bulls memory for you since you got here in 1990? What was the first Bulls memory for you that you remember about that team? Well, I was a Jordan fan going back to the shot he hit against uh, the national championship for North Carolina against Georgetown. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I – you know, Michael was on my radar right right from the very start. And then, of course, he just blew up in his next two years at North Carolina. And, you know, Jordan was a phenomenon. Everyone remembered the 63-point the game against Larry Bird and the Celtics in the playoffs. And I remember I was packing up, getting ready to move to Chicago. And I, I, I was able to get a feed on uh, – it must have been a national game because there would be no feed. But I, 
I saw the game where he scored 69 points against the Cavaliers, which happened just before I, I started at, at WLS. Mm-hmm. And as that playoff run continued, I was actually at game seven of the Bulls Piston series uh, in at the Palace of Auburn Hills, which was brand mm-hmm. new at that point. And I had packed to go on to Portland because had the Bulls won, they would have been, you know, gone on to the finals and they were going to send me directly from Detroit to Portland. And, and obviously that didn't work, go real well because that was the <laughs> no. famous infamous Scotty Pippen headache yes. game. And, yes. uh, you know, they got, they just got blown out. They got the doors blown off in that game, but it was, it was just a kind of, you know, I got there in April and I did hockey and I did, I did some baseball and then I was on the bulls and I'm like, this is crazy. I mean, by the time, by the time I, I got into the sports office and put my, uh, you know, my travel bag away, my head was spinning and I'd covered mm-hmm. all these great events and I had just started and I had only been there for a few months. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Uh, so the Bulls first championship uh, you cover. So going to that, <laughs> going, I'm sure you were, you know, involved in that series and going to that final series, watching magic, watching Michael, what kind of stood out to you? And was there something that you saw that just let you know, like, oh man, there's no way the Bulls are losing this series. Well, if you remember the first game, Michael Jordan had a chance to win it and his shot rimmed out. And oh, yeah. you're thinking, man, they lost the game at home, you know, against a team that experienced with Magic and that and those guys that how are they going to come back and win win the series? And then he had the spectacular game in game two to even yeah. things up. Um, but the key was, you know, Phil deciding to let Scottie Pippen guard Magic. And Scotty with his length and his size really bothered Magic. And uh, that was really kind of the turning point in the series. Of course, he got hurt later in that series and, and was not that effective magic I'm talking about. Right. So, you know, as the momentum built, you know, the Bulls were the younger, hungrier, more aggressive team, and, and L.A. just kind of it just kind of faded. Uh, but the way that, that whole thing started with a tough loss in game one, you're thinking, you know, their chances aren't going to be that good. But by the time you got to games four and five, the Bulls were clearly the better team. Yeah, because you got well, they were going against what Tony Smith at point guard at that point in time. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like like it was over, like it was a wrap. And then, and then Eldon got, Campbell as a rookie was playing. Yeah, minutes. right. And Sam Perkins had the game of his life in game one. Ah, uh, that he shot with him around. No, he could fell in around. He couldn't be stopped. Did you have uh, uh from I'm I'm talking from the first three? Did you have a favorite team to cover from the first three? Yeah, you know. I was a big fan of Craig Hodges because I covered him in Milwaukee. So I really got into the fact that I got a chance to cover him again in Chicago. Of course, he won the, the three-point shootout at All-Star Weekend. And if you talk to Craig, such a, such a good guy. And, you know, yeah. he had a smile that would light up the room. And, it was you know, when you think back on how his career ended and, yeah. and, you know, all the bitterness that's, that's left over, it's just a sad thing. We had him on the, the podcast I do with Stacy. And, you know, he was, he was very candid, very, you know, talked about it very openly. And, you know, he just felt like he was cheated out of, you know, a couple of would have been really good years. And, and, yeah. you know, he just wonders what it'd be like if he was playing in today's NBA with his ability to shoot the three ball. I mean, teams would be killing themselves trying to get Craig Hodges on their team. No question. And, and, he, and he played the one and the two. So, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, he'd yeah. Be a monster. He'd the one. When he was in Milwaukee, he, yeah, he was their starting point guard. And when he came to Chicago, he was more of a specialist. So, yeah, I, I liked Craig as a person. And so I would say, you know, I, probably that second team was the one that I, that I really enjoyed covering. And, you know, they had that great comeback at Chicago Stadium against Portland to win that championship. And 
you know, dancing on the scores table, you know, celebrating a championship in front of the home fans. That, that was awfully cool. And then 93, I got a chance to go to Phoenix for, and that was a great series. I mean, that's oh, Charles yeah. Barkley at the height of his powers. Yeah. Yeah. He won the MVP that year. And remember that, that double overtime game? Oh, it was a, cra- cra- <laughs> it's a crazy score, like, uh, like 136 to 135 yeah, or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and the Bulls conceivably could have swept that series after winning the first two in Phoenix. And then it became a dogfight. You know, look, I was in Phoenix for game six when they won it. And it looked like, you know, Phoenix had the momentum and they were going to force a game seven. And then, you know, we saw how it ended again. Again, the Bulls just had that knack because because of their leader, Michael Jordan, making the big plays down the stretch. And then that the last play, you know, John Paxson, where he, where he stamped his place in Bulls history forever, knocking down that three. Mm-hmm. Nothing was going on. Did you know that you were sort of like in the midst of history of Chicago? Did you have, did you sit back and go, wow, I've been to some, I'm involved with something great. I'm on TV, involved with a team. This is like history. Now I'm going to be on camera. I'm going to be, you know, Did did you feel it then in the moment? Yeah, I mean, even before I got to Chicago, as I mentioned, I knew how special Michael Jordan was. And, you know, I thought initially that this is going to be really special covering this guy as he gets into his prime and really is ready to take over the league. Obviously, they had to get through the Pistons, which took a little longer than than Michael would have liked. But they uh, cleared that hurdle. You know, they beat the Knicks in some great playoff battles. Uh, the infamous Charles Smith four blocks, <laughs> which was a lot of fun. All clean. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I mean, you just you just knew that this group was headed for something special. But you know, just the fact, and and that's why the whole LeBron Jordan debate always comes down to you know Michael was six and zero in the finals, never went to a game seven. I mean, you know, case closed in my opinion. <laughs> Nothing to say. So I have to ask this question for for Chris, uh, Mark. I have to get your opinion on this. Do you think the John Starks dunk oh on God. Michael Jordan? Oh, stay, stop the John Starks you know, dunk you know, you know, my friend. Because you said, oh, my God. Why don't you give it credit by prefacing the question that way? You should have just like said the dunk he did on the Bulls. Okay, the dunk he did on the Bulls in game two in Madison Square Garden <laughs> with the left hand where Horace Grant and Michael Jordan. Do you think <laughs> that John Starks dunked on Michael Jordan? Well, sure he did. Yeah. Mark, he didn't even jump. <laughs> I, see, I was liking you, Mark, at first and everything, you know, about the Jordan stuff. Now you come in here giving York that credibility or that stupid highlight. No one jumped. There are films of him, John Starks dunking, and no one's in the frame. You have to be in the frame. <laughs> you get dunked on. I'm sorry. You still. Uh, <laughs> this is a professional here. He's telling you that he got the Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> Did I did I did I persuade that I persuade you, uh, Mark? Did I convince you that you have to be in the? the you still think you still think you dunked on Jordan? Yeah, I guess by that technicality, <laughs> you've got a point. Yeah, but <laughs> you have to. Do. It was a great dunk. It was a great dunk. But I refuse to think. I, I just don't like when people say he dunked on Jordan. No one jumped. Mm. You have to. You know. You have to at least compete and yeah, took yeah. the block. Well. <laughs> I had to ask, man. I had to get his opinion. I, I wanted right. to get Mark's opinion. I never asked him that. <laughs> I wanted to get his opinion. I wanted to get his opinion. So you you work with a, a legend in, in Norm Van Leer. Um, mm-hmm. what, what can you tell us about Norm that hasn't, I'm sure it's been said a million times, but please, you can say it again to us about working with him, what you've learned from him, 
how he kind of, you know, went about uh, uh, teaching the game to people like me and Chris, man. What did you feel just about Norm? Norm was fantastic. I mean, everything about him was 100% real. Uh, you know, talking to him before games, watching games together, doing the shows. I mean, the guy lived an unbelievable life. He was taken from us way too soon. But, you know, some of the stories he would tell about, you know, going out on the town with uh, um, different, different athletes, different uh, entertainers, he used to hang out with guys from the group Chicago, um, you know, talking about, you know, meet, meeting Mick Jagger and stuff. I mean, he, he was wow. just, he was a hundred percent energy and, you know, he, he, he stuffed so much life into the, the period he was on this earth that, you know, Norm didn't get cheated. And it was the funny thing about working with him was a lot of times, you know, I think this happens with a lot of ex-athletes, you know, they spent their whole career playing their sport and, and sometimes they just get bored watching it. So the Bulls, mm -hmm. you know, play 82 games. And there were times where during the game, he'd be over on the side watching a law and order rerun instead of watching the game. And then we'd get on set and he'd get all emotional about something, you know, talking about somebody offending the game with how they did something. And I wanted to say to the audience, well, Norm, you didn't even watch the game tonight. What are you talking about? You know, that was kind of, that was kind of the running joke that, that Norm was what was could talk better about what happened at tonight's law and order rerun than what happened in the Bulls game. <laughs> so law and order was it, huh? Hey man, I can't blame he him loved for that some show. of those seasons. It's a good show, man. It, yeah. It's a good show. It's a good show. I can't blame him for some. But of those no, I mean the thing is, he would he would keep an eye on the game, but it's not like he was pouring over every possession. And I think right. that happens. You know, you've seen it when you were in there. Sometimes, you know, Kendall will walk over the snack and get a bag of Doritos. And you won't see him for twenty minutes. I mean, right. they're not they're not worried about missing, you know, five ten possessions and and right. the fact that it's going to, you know. Obviously, a guy could get injured or, or something weird could happen. But for the most part, you know, in the NBA, you play the first half to get to the second half yes. and you play the third quarter to get to the fourth quarter. <laughs> and most of the time it comes down to the last five minutes. So, um, you know, that that's one of the things that's great about the sport. It's also one of the things that the casual fan doesn't like that you know, they mm -hmm. feel like uh, you, you don't have to watch the whole game in order to see to get the feel for it. But um you know, some of the best times with Norm were, were away from, from doing the shows. I mean, just to, he had such a big heart. And he, he, if you were a friend of Norm's, he would do anything for you. Just just right. a really generous man. Um, you know, he did a lot of work for charities. Just a, just a really good guy. And, and the sad thing was, you know, I've always felt like towards the end of his life, he was having some health issues. And I always felt like, you know, he was, he was living kind of a lonely existence. You know, his kids were out in, in California and he didn't really have a lot of family around. And, you know, that, that was the one thing I wish I would have spent more time with Norm, you know, had him done more social things, had more dinners with him because it seemed like, at, you know, at times he just didn't have that, that circle of close friends and family that, that everybody looks for. Mm. Did Norm ever throw you off your game? Cause I've honestly, Mark, I've never seen you be thrown off, you know, your game. Like you always seem like you're completely on point and you're in control of everything. But Norm was always a wild card. So you never knew what was really coming. Did he ever kind of just throw you off? Well, there were a lot of times where he would get crazy angry for no reason about something. You know, we'd, we'd run a highlight or somebody would say something in a post-game interview. And then he'd just go off on this tangent where he'd just rip somebody for, you know, two minutes. That's kind of like, what's going on with uh, with the White Sox right now with, with Ozzie Guillen, where that show has become 
kind of a must-watch thing because, you know, the rants and the improvisation where you don't really know what's going to happen. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's been interesting. Frank Thomas has been doing a lot more shows this year. Yeah. And when Frank first got into broadcasting, you know, like most ex-athletes, he was afraid of offending anyone. And he was kind of tepid with his opinions. But now he's kind of stepped up his game. He's done national work at Fox, which I think has brought him out as well. And that shows a, a lot of fun to watch. And and I, I felt like with Norman, his, his heyday, you just never knew what he was going to say. And, and people back then, he was working during the Skiles years and, and the start of the, uh, the Derrick Rose era before he passed. And mm-hmm. he was so excited to see you know, Derek Rose coming to Chicago, a hometown yeah. kid playing the, playing the way he did. And he loved everything about the way Derek played because, you know, Derek brought that passion to every, every night's game, which is what Norm always embodied. So it was, just, it was a shame that he didn't get a chance to see more of Derek's career. That's real. That's real. What we thought about his jersey being retired or, you know, uh, how the organization treated, treated Norm um, after, after, you know, before he passed. You know, I think the whole Jersey thing is very subjective depending on the organization. I mean, some mm-hmm. organizations just hand that out like candy and I think it, it loses some of its meaning. I mean, you know, I, I grew up in Milwaukee and they've got, they got about 12 jerseys retired, which is kind of crazy. They've won in one Milwaukee? championship, you know? Yeah. I mean like Brian Winters and junior Bridgman, they've got their numbers retired. And I'm like, really? You know, I mean, th- these, these were nice players. Mm-hmm. And then John, John McLaughlin, who was the original buck and who was a broadcaster forever. So I, I kind of get that because of his long time right. of broadcasting, mm-hmm. but they retired Bob Lanier's number. You know, they didn't win anything when Lanier was there. He was on the back end of his career. His best years were with Detroit, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, who else did they retired? There, there's, there's literally about 10 numbers retired. That's why I think with the bulls, the numbers that they retired really mean something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people have said, well, should they retire Rodman's number? I mean, Rodman was really played his role well in those three championship teams. I, I don't, I don't think they should retire Rodman's number. And you know, in, in terms of of Norm, um, you know, Norm was there what about seven, eight years um, on some really good teams, but you know, they didn't win a championship. And I think that 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 probably would hurt that argument. You know, Jerry Sloan was like the original bull, and and he was honored in you know all defensive teams, as was Norm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that the you, you you should really be careful about retiring numbers you know like with boston with the celtics i mean they got so many numbers retired you see all these guys now wearing these weird numbers yeah, because they can't yeah. wear the numbers they'd like to have because they're yeah. all retired yeah yeah now they could now they're not going to do it anymore now i think paul pierce is the last one and now they're just going to kind of yeah. do it like a ring of honor kind of thing because you're right yeah just so many numbers they retire but yeah, yeah I, that- I think i think that should be for hall of famers or, or multiple champions you know i, I think that when you start handing that honor out, you know, just because a guy w- was a solid citizen and, and put up some solid numbers, I, I think then it loses its meaning a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that. Actually, I feel like that about But, Norm, but I will tell LA. you this. That, yeah, Norm, Norm passionately felt his number should be retired. And I think part of that was he was in that same backcourt with Jerry Sloan. Mm-hmm. And Norm was never going to concede that Jerry Sloan was a better player. And I wouldn't even say Jerry Sloan was either. It was just the fact he came into that organization – when they were an expansion team. And I think that's why he had that added um, association with the franchise where Norm came over from the Cincinnati Royals in a trade. And, and then, you know, I think that they felt like he wasn't an original bull. And sometimes that hurts you when they look at honors like that. That's true. But yeah, like I said, I I feel that way about LeBron. Like, I don't think his numbers should be tried in LA. 
Um, especially if he only brings in one championship because these that's the LA Lakers. You know what I mean? Like you're supposed to, you know, at least three, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, cause that's greatness. That's what they expect, you know? Well, you know, he's going back to number six next year. So when he's done, he's going to ask the Lakers to retire 23 answers. Just like Kobe. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> watch. You watch. You watch. That's what he talked about when he retires. That's going to be crazy. It's, it's got to stop. It's got to stop somewhere. I know. I know. Oh, is the, and before I just one more question about retiring numbers, and I want to move on to something else. Uh, is there a bull from the Derrick Rose era? Outside of Derrick Rose, obviously. Is there a bull that you feel like should maybe be considered about him getting his number retired? No. No, I don't think so. I mean, that, that group didn't win any, win any titles. Um I was a big fan of Joe Keem and Taj, you know, how hard those guys work. But in terms of retiring a number, no. Okay. All right. Now, I know Matt Peck would, Matt Peck would disagree. I know, oh, yeah. Man love with, uh, with Noah. Oh, dude, you, you just don't understand, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> you don't understand, Mark. I don't hey, want to understand. I don't want to understand. Mark, man, that's, that's a that's – a, you can find anybody to love you like that in your life. You are doing something right. You're no, no can run over a child. In yeah, the he'll, he'll make him he'll apologize for him. So, yeah, yeah he, no, no one can do no wrong. None, zero. Um, here's a question for me, actually for me and Chris. Um, do you feel, if healthy, that Derrick Rose and that team would have beat Le- beaten LeBron one of those years and advanced to an NBA Finals? I think they would have had a good chance the year he got hurt in 2012. You know, they, again, had a really good regular season against Miami. They weren't afraid to go up against those guys. And, you know, Derek, that was the lockout-shortened season. Derek had a lot of minor injuries, and it felt like he was just rounding into form for those playoffs. He would have been rested, and I I think they they would have gained some knowledge from having lost them the year before. You know, people remember they lost in five games, but outside of the first game, which was a Bulls blowout win, all, all the games were close. And, you know, I think the Bulls would have gone into a series with Miami that year feeling pretty confident. Remember, that was the year that uh, the Celtics should have beaten Miami. And was that the Eastern Conference Finals or the semifinals? They're up three games to two going back to Boston. And that was a game where LeBron had that 48-minute scowl Mm -hmm. and he scored like 46 points. That was one of the best games he's ever played because, you know, they they lose that game. That would have been, you know, because they had lost to Dallas in the finals the year before. Right. There might have been some talk, you know, Pat Riley, not very patient man. They may have considered, you know, trading Chris Bosch or doing something crazy after mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, Chris and I no, didn't think that that would have, would have happened, uh, that win would have happened, because they still didn't answer who's going to stop LeBron. Because yeah. you don't stop LeBron, and then in the fourth quarter, you just put him on Derrick Rose, because, you know, he was just bigger. And it was going to be an issue every single time. The, 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 one, the one thing, though, David and I talk about is that, of course, Derrick Rose didn't mature to the, you know, his peak, his peak form. And Derrick Rose, he did say, you know, he had something for LeBron the next time they face off, face off in the playoffs. But unfortunately, he got hurt. But like Dave said, LeBron is great. He's taller. He's bigger. And no one else on the Bulls, Bulls could run point guard and dribble the ball more than four times. Thus, cut off the head and you lose the game. Yeah, it was going to be a problem. You know what story I would like to see come to an immediate stop is the whole recollections from Dwayne Wade talking about how close he and LeBron came to coming to the Bulls. I'm so tired of hearing that. <laughs> you know, they didn't they didn't do it, so forget about it. I mean, can you imagine how many championships that team could have won? 
with Dude. with Wade, LeBron, Derrick Rose, Luol Dang, Noah. Don't do this. No, stop it. Stop it. Come on. Come on. Oh my God. The, the, uh, the destruction you just wonder, of the NBA. You just wonder what, what they could have done differently. You remember that dur- during that time LeBron was holding meetings, free agent meetings at some his agents' offices in Cleveland. Yeah. And yeah. I and I heard from very good authority that he was blown away by Tibbs' presentation. Because Tibbs, remember, hadn't even coached an NBA game yet as a head coach. Mm-hmm. Bulls had just hired him, and and he just blew LeBron away with his you know X's and O's on the whiteboard, and and LeBron that was the longest meeting that he had with any team that year, wow. but there was just so much momentum that built when Riley was able to bring a third guy in, and people talk about three max deals, but as you remember, it wasn't they weren't all max deals. Um, Wade took less, and and I think Bosch took less too, so that all three of them could play. That's true. He did. Yeah, Wade definitely took took a, took a pay cut. Yes, he did. Yes. All right. Yeah. Let me move. Let me move forward. Uh, get, talk about this team that we have now. About this new regime yeah. that the Bulls have now. Uh, obviously, you got you got Arturis in. You have Mark Eversley in. Uh, they when they got Billy Donovan, the team. You know, they when they made the trade. You know, get Vooch in here. You know, get two All Stars on the team. Still fall short of the playoffs, though. Um, coming into the off season, let me. Is this the most? optimistic you've been for a bull season in the past few years, like in the, in the upcoming season for this team? Yeah, I would think so. Just because of the fact that, you know, they've, they've got two guys who've made all-star teams in Zach and Vucevic, but you know, losing that first round pick that hurt, you know, mm-hmm. they're not going to be involved in getting a, a premier talent in this draft. Uh, their, their free agent situation is kind of muddled. If they want to get aggressive and try to go after a, you know, a starting level point guard, they're going to have to dump a couple of salaries. Um, so I think what they're going to end up doing is that they're going to operate as an over-the-cap team, and I don't think they're going to go big game hunting for any kind of major free agent. I think that they'll they'll probably add a guy, but I don't think it's going to be anybody the fan base is going to be that excited about. And when you look at Detroit getting the first pick with, with Cade Cunningham, um, some of the other teams that have taken a big jump, I mean, look at Atlanta. They're, they were a team in a similar situation to the Bulls where they bottomed out. They drafted well. They signed two or three, you know, quality uh, value free agents mm-hmm. with uh, Bogdanovich and Gallinari, and those guys have really helped them. And uh, DeAndre Hunter hasn't even played in these playoffs because of the knee injury. Atlanta is a team on the rise. The Knicks have done some some great work with with Tom Thibodeau. Charlotte is is moving up with Lamelo Ball, establishing himself as their point guard. It's going to be tough for them to make the playoffs next year. And and then you know if they don't make the playoffs again next year, what happens with Zach Levine? He'll be a free agent. Mm-hmm. It's you know, Arturis has got it. He's got his work cut out for him. I, I, I appreciated the boldness of the Vucevic trade, but he might have been a little early in pushing all his chips to the middle because they gave up, a, you know, a premier draft pick this year. And Vucevic is what, 32? Yeah. I mean, you know, he's a, he he's a very good player. He's a very good player, but I, I don't think he's the kind of guy you build a team around. Yeah, no, he's got a couple years left at least. I would say about two max yeah. that he has left to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but hopefully he's not the best player on the team, right? Hopefully that he's like a two-eight, yeah, in a couple of years on the Bulls. Well, the, the key is is what Patrick Williams is going to become because exactly. you know Arturis kind of stuck his neck out. He took Williams before a lot of people thought he should he should have been drafted last year, and their hopes are that he's going to become, you know, if not an All Star, a close to All Star caliber small forward or maybe a power forward in this league, and that he'll be that third piece that can go with Zach and. You know, maybe Vooch will be gone by that point. But, you know, mm-hmm. if Patrick Williams develops into what this front office thinks he can be, 
Well, then, then they could have a really nice squad. What we saw from Patrick Williams last year was a guy that reminded me a lot of uh, Wendell Carter Jr. He was reluctant to shoot. Don't do this. <laughs> no, no, no. Nah, that's too far, Mark. I'm not going to allow that. Oh, I'm talking about his attitude about on the offensive end. I think oh, he's going to be no, a much better player. But, but he didn't want to shoot. He, who, if we've all played the game, who doesn't want to shoot the ball? Look, Mark, I try to, I try to, you know, okay, so I'm trying to phrase it. How many, with Laurie Marker, okay, we all know what Laurie Marker is right now. Who? We gave, we gave him like three, <laughs> three years to like show us something. And I'm like, okay, with Patrick Williams, I know he's a, he's a fine player, but not wanting to shoot the ball is a mental thing. That's like a personality. And it's hard to change who you are as a player. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's who he is. So I, I'm not going to wait three or four years for this guy. To, I'm going to wait next year. I better see something from him that shows me that he wants to score, that he wants to impact the game offensively and not just, you know, play the game, have fun, and, 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 uh, and, and, and build your statue up. I want to see a guy out there who wants to take control of the game offensively and understands that it's okay to be great. Mark, what do you stand on Patrick Williams as far as, like, how long do you give him? How many years do you give him to, like, show you something, to show you, to prove to you? That, that he could be an all-star big player? I'll give him two more years. You know, he's he's 19. Uh, I'll give him two years to see what he can do. I, you know, one thing that I thought was really encouraging was, you know, the TV cameras caught him at a uh, game in Milwaukee, a playoff game yeah. with Billy Donovan, yeah, Billy, sitting there watching yeah. Giannis and those guys go to work. And mm-hmm. I think that, that shows a lot about what the young man wants to become, that he wants to see the best players and wants to try to pick up things from their games that he can implement in his. I think, as you said, though, Chris, I think that it, it is a mindset to be a scorer. And, you know, the Bulls kept trying to and, – and that's why, you know, I'm not comparing him to Wendell Carter Jr. He's a much better prospect. But that's Thank what you. the Bulls kept tra- telling Wendell is that when you catch the ball in the mid-post, look at the rim. If you got an open yeah. shot, take it. And he never would do it. Now, oh. two years from now, we're still saying that about Patrick Williams, then the pick will be a bust. Yeah, agreed. I, I like the fact that and, – and this play always stuck out in my mind when – he got the ball at the top of the key wide open for three and he passed it to Garrett Temple and Garrett Temple threw it back at him, violently yelled at him, shoot the ball. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, and he shot it and yeah. it went in. And he was like, dude, what are you, don't do that again. Like, <laughs> shoot the ball. Some- Carter had like a mental block of like not wanting to succeed at, off, at basketball offensively. Like he just blocked himself mentally to like succeed at basketball. I don't know. It's weird with Carter. I just hold Patrick Williams, man. I, you know, we see them. I'm sure, Mark, you've seen the video of him playing with, uh, you know, uh, Trey Young, especially then with he, and it's, it's a run, whatever you playing pickup, whatever. But he looked like a, he looked like he had a mentality. And and Billy Donovan said at the end of the year that he said the guy was never asked to do that in the game. He was never asked to be to, to take somebody to take somebody off the dribble one on one repeatedly during the game. It's something he just was just not accustomed to doing. Something he's never done as a player. So hopefully. Next year, because like okay. he scores like 17 points easily, Easy. it's, it's amazing, yeah. right? He scores like eight points just being athletic, and then like the other, the other ones, like free throws and a couple of jump shots, he has like 17 points and he's belly bripping the sweat. So, yeah, oh, uh, yeah, I, I think that he could be a really good player. We're just gonna have to wait and see, you know, if he develops on the course that the Bulls are projected for him, because there are a number of things they could have done with that pick. There were rumors that. You know, teams are trying to trade ahead of the Bulls to, to get Patrick Williams. And mm-hmm. the Bulls like Tyrese Halliburton, but they like Williams more. And, you know, yeah. Halliburton had a really good rookie year in Sacramento. He and did. the Bulls need a point guard. So, you know, we'll find we'll, we'll all find out in the next couple of years 
which of these guys take that next step. And I, you know, given the fact that Williams didn't even start a game in college and got a chance to start every game with the Bulls, I think that that's really going to speed up his development. Yeah, and like you said, you know, the best best ability is availability, and he was available every single night in that starting lineup, man. He was there, so yeah, he he definitely learned. So he definitely learned. I, I would give him that for learning it, but. Please, yeah, I don't, man. I'm sorry, Mark. That Wendell Carter Jr. comparison just just sit me somewhere, Mark. I don't hear that, man. That just sit me somewhere. Mark. Oh my God. Okay, um, let's talk about another player that definitely upset me, and that was uh Lowry Marketing. Oh boy, uh, I was pretty out. Chris knows this. I spent many a day on this show talking about my love for Lowry, showing off the hot sauce that I bought from my friend in Finland, and how much I love Lowry Marketing. I truly do. I truly had love for him, but now that love is gone and it's over with. Um, do you think there is a team out there or do you still think that Lowry Markkinen can be what I think he, he can be, which is a guy that can be that 20 point a game, eight, nine, 10 rebound guy, you know, shooting that high percentage from the field and from three and just being an absolute problem for a team. Is there still a team out there that he can do that with? Yeah. I mean, the fact that he's seven feet tall and can shoot threes is going to get him a rich contract in this marketplace. I mean, you look what Davis Breton's got from Washington a career backup what, what was it like five years 80 million something like yeah. that um you know so Lowry's going to get paid and I don't think he's going to have any shortage of suitors I just think at this point with the new front office now a year into their run I think they've pretty much decided that he's not the player that they want to have as, as a focal point of their master plan so I don't think they're going to extend themselves in any any great direction to keep Lowry in Chicago I think they'd love to be able to sign and trade him but that, that's going to be difficult because a lot of teams have cap space. They can just sign Lowry outright. Uh, I'd be I'd be shocked if Lowry was in a Bulls uniform next year. Yeah, and I, and you know what, Mark? I think he Lowry told himself he didn't want to be a part of this master plan with his game because I think they wanted him like you like you said the skill set the the true seven footer that can shoot like he does. You want a guy like that on your team, but he told them with his gameplay that I don't want to be part of that master plan. So I think he did that to himself. Well, I, and I think that both the front office and the coaching staff really kind of slapped Lowry in the face. They benched him one game after they got Vucevic and said, okay, you're going to come off the bench and be a small forward at 7-1. Yes. Yes. I, I, thought, I, I thought that was unbelievably cold to mm. tell this kid who's, you know, he, he's obviously from a, a different culture and, you know, kind of a laid-back kid. And you basically told him, you don't fit here. We're going to start Daniel Tice at power forward and you're going to play small forward trying to chase around small wings at seven one. They did him an incredible disservice. Mm -hmm. They may have cost him a little bit of money in the, in the free agent marketplace. And they basically told him you have no value to us. So mm. I don't know any scenario where Lowry and his agent would even be interested in coming back to the Bulls. Yeah. I hear that. I think, I think they also thought he would be gone also in a trade. I didn't even expect him to come back to the team after that trade deadline. I thought he'd be gone you know, to get Lonzo Ball here at least. But, you know, Daniel Griffin wanted too much, according to AK. Well, I think what ended up happening was that there was probably dual negotiations. They were talking to Orlando about Vucevic. They were talking about a, not a sign and trade, but it had been a straight deal for marketing and for Ball. And, mm -hmm. and probably New Orleans was asking for a first-round pick as a sweetener. Mm -hmm. And then they traded two first-round picks in the Vucevic deal. And – AK had to go back to David Griffin and go, I don't have any more picks. I can't, yeah, right. I can't do anything. And that, that, right. that deal just died on the vine. And as the season wore on, Lonzo Ball kept playing better and better, and he was getting more minutes. Because I think at the beginning of the year, Stan Van Gundy, who's now out, which is, you know, that's a whole different story too, 
I think he kind of soured on Lonzo. But then as, as the season went on, you know, they were playing Zion at the point. It, it was just a weird – a yeah. weird way that that season finished. They told Lonzo to go stand in the corner and be a spot up three point shooter. I'm sure uh, Lavar wasn't real happy about that. So you know, New Orleans is going to have some fence mending to do if they want to keep Lonzo Ball. Uh, I just think that his his salary demands may price him out of the Bulls' range. I don't think they're going to be comfortable throwing a max offer sheet at Lonzo Ball. I just don't think they are. Yeah, but I've, I've been saying all along. I don't think they want to spend a bunch of money on Lonzo Ball. I don't think that's. I don't think they no. see him as the answer. If you you got, you got to spend a mask. You got to spend money on the player. You don't want him holding you back from like winning the championship. And and if he, if he's not succeeding going that team, it's something. I mean, he's, he's a good player, but like you should be better. You have like one of the best rookies ever, and you're not really running point guard. You're not succeeding. You're not helping them win. Something's wrong with, with, with this game. Maybe he needs a, needs a new um, scenery, or I don't know. But he's getting better every, every time I watch him play. It gets better. But this to me, there's an issue with your game if you're on that team. With that talent, and you can't maximize your game. It's something they're off. Well, I saw something interesting on Twitter late in the season where somebody put side by side statistics up. You know, this is player A, this is player B, and the numbers were for Lonzo Ball and Kobe White, and they're almost identical. Because Lonzo's mm-hmm. assist, people think, well, he's his passing whiz. Well, as I mentioned, they took the ball out of his hands. They either had Zion or Brandon Ingram initiating offense. Lonzo only averaged like five or six assists. You know, he he didn't he didn't really stand out as a floor general. And he doesn't right exactly. His, his scoring numbers, his shooting percentages were almost identical to Kobe White. Even in college, I don't remember him like really running the being a floor general per se. It, it was he could pass, he made nice passes, right? But he doesn't really run an offense. Yeah, he scored. Well, when he came into the league with the Lakers, I mean, he was the guy with the ball until yeah. LeBron got there, of course. Also, <laughs> <laughs> uh, another 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 uh, you know career he kind of um, you know hampered, I guess. Right. <laughs> kind of step back but yeah chris is chris is definitely the one who talked me out of lonzo ball because he the point he kept making to me was he he doesn't move the needle for your team he isn't the guy that you get to say okay we got that guy now we're ready to go win and he's right like there's not a needle moving point guard at least one that i i've seen in free agency but there is one that that i would like the, the bulls to take a shot at and and that's uh Devontae graham I really do like Devontae. Are you on board me now? You on board? I never left. I was on board with you from a lot. I left Devontae. Ground. I never left you he on Devontae. He's such ground. a good point guard. Look, I, dude, when I would watch the games with on Bulls outside, he always stood out. Like when we were watching Devontae, I love Devontae. Ground. Always stood out. He, he, and he's just in a bad situation now. Because what are you gonna do? You can't. You can't bench like Lamelo. He's like a mini. He's like a mini Terrell Brandon. Mini in the way that he doesn't can't score like Terrell Brandon. I love Terrell Brandon. Oh, that's my guy. But anyway. He, he just the Bonte Ground mark to me. He just he could pass when he needs to pass. He can shoot when he needs to shoot. He plays defense. He yeah. doesn't mess up fast breaks. I yeah. uh, like Chris Dubon. He he he, he just like, has a pro assistant about him by being a professional point guard. Yeah. And I think he'd be good at any team. Please come to the Bulls. I because you don't need to max out. You know him. He could be a solid point guard for years, right? And then you you know spend money on another player. Yeah, because his money is going to be low. to me though. He, he's He's more of a Ben Gordon, though, than a point guard. I don't think he, he's, he's really a guy that you want to say, we need you to run our offense, make sure everybody gets the ball in the, mm-hmm. in the spots where they want it, and, and be a half-court facilitator. I think he's more of a scoring guard. But how he's a very people, good player. How many, people are, how many people are like that, though? I, 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 hear, you, I hear your point. I think, I think he's, low, he's more of a point guard than Ben Gordon, but that's not saying a lot. But, like, uh, and I love Ben Gordon. But, uh, but how many 
you know, how many point guards are there, are there out there like that that can just run a team and score 15 points? Unless you're like from a well, you're right. They're a, they're a dying breed, and that's why mm -hmm. people are talking about guys like Chris Paul and Mike Conley and Kyle Lowry in this free agent class that, you know, for a team that's trying to get some stability, that's trying to advance the development of their young guys, that maybe it's worth trying to bring in one of those guys. But the three guys I mentioned are all 30 million plus. So those guys aren't coming to Chicago. You know, you, we've heard you know, the name Spencer Dinwiddie, who was here, you know, for a cup of coffee a few years ago and really uh, developed into a nice player in, uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, and I think that might've been, I think that might've been a C red Fred trade. Uh, uh, Magic Johnson uh, for, uh, for Dinwiddie. You see that one? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I wouldn't one. put it past him. I wouldn't put it past him. But Chris, yeah, Chris and I, we were, yeah. we were big. Oh, we're talking about Thaddeus, Thaddeus Young, obviously. Yeah. Oh, obviously, yes, yes. No, we yeah, were I, big. I mean, obviously, Dinwiddie, he's coming off that, you know, partial ACL tear, and that always mm -hmm. is going to scare you a little bit. But he's a guy, yeah. you know, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, who can see you over the top of defenses, and I think who could give you so, a different dimension to a point guard. Um, you know, how his fit would be with Zach, I'm not sure if it's ideal. But I don't know if there is anybody other than a, yeah. a Chris Paul or an old school point guard that you want to play in with Zach because Zach likes to have the ball in his hand. He does. Yeah, yeah and that, that's kind of like my point. And by the way, Dave trying to get out that we were big Dinwiddie fans. Big Dinwiddie fans. Yes. It was like, it was like, why is like who is this guy? He's really good. He's really tall, and he can score. He's a you know he's a scorer. He can dribble. He can play defense. And we knew right away he would not be with the Wolves. <laughs> we knew it. <laughs> we knew he was good. We, was no we knew good. that he was making Valentine look bad. And they was yeah. like, we can't, he can't be on the Bulls. <laughs> it was and like, and, but I hope he comes back because that's why I kind of like Devontae Graham because like, you can't get everything right. Like I like when, play, when people complain about players and it's like, well, he can't rebound, he can't shoot. And I'm like, well, there's only one Akeem Olajuwon, right? right. You, you know what I mean? Somebody's going to be too short or can't shoot as well or can't dribble. Devontae Graham has the middle ground as an okay point guard, but he's better than average, right? A little slightly better than average. Dewey, he's not a true point guard, but can, but wants to score. But hey, I'm I rather I rather settle with them guys than like a, either an old vet like Conley, who always gets I love Conley, but he always gets hurt all the time. Always hurt, yeah. Or have Archie Diago come out the bench again. Like we don't I want better than that. I think we can do better than that. So I'm I'll be happy with Devontae Graham. And of course, then even though we are coming off the injury, he's still I think he'd be a, a very good player in the NBA. Yeah. You know what I'm worried about? Given AK's background, I'm so afraid they're going to bring Goran Dragic in here. And he's not a point guard at this point in his career. He, you nah, know, no. he's towards he's towards the end. He can still score, but if they bring in him him in here thinking he's going to be their starting point guard, that would be a miscalculation at best. Yeah, you saw in the playoffs, right? That uh, he kind of. He's kind of like he kind of hit the ceiling, right, in his career, right? So, yeah, he's yeah, he, never been a four general, really, though. He's, you know, he's no, no. Player, but, mm -hmm. yeah, it wasn't his thing, but, he but was you know, you, you look stabilizing. at you know, one guy we, we never seem to talk about, and I've done you know, my my own podcast where it always gets brought up last. Why not bring Derrick Rose back? I mean, if you're going to go for a veteran mm -hmm. point guard, why not bring Derrick back? Mm. I don't have a problem with it. Oh, okay, <laughs> I don't have no <laughs> issue with it. At all. I mean, we, we always talk. We always talk about you know those three expensive guys, and we go to Spencer right. Dinwiddie and Devontae Graham and Goran mm -hmm. Dragic and Dennis Schroeder, and nobody ever talks about Derrick Rose. Yeah. I mean, I guess the assumption is that Tibbs won't let him get away, but no. Derrick still loves his hometown. If you give him a competitive two-year offer that's similar to what New York's offering, why wouldn't he come back? Yeah. I agree. I, I've told Chris that every team he's gone to has been close to Chicago. 
It's like you, you can tell he kind of doesn't want to leave the area. I mean, we got Cleveland. New York is probably the furthest he's been, but you got Cleveland and, and Minnesota and Detroit. Minnesota, yeah. You know, like those three plays, they're very close to the city. So you're right. He's a Chicago guy. I would, dude, I would love it. Yes. Bring Derrick Rose back. Yes. And he's still relatively, relatively young. He's just not the old Derrick Rose. So, right. you know, so, and yeah. And, and the thing is, you know, Kobe, Kobe's most likely going to miss the first month of the season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could play, you could play Derrick as your starter. And then taper off his minutes as Kobe's ready to come back and have him, you know, kind of take Kobe under his wing and, and help him develop. It probably won't happen because there's got to be somebody, whether it's at the ownership level or this new front office doesn't want to rekindle what happened from the last group. But, you know, I, I think I think feelings will get in the way from making this happen. But when you look at the point guards that are available in terms of veteran free agents that are realistic, let's say. Mm-hmm. Derek's at the top of the list. Yeah, it's true, man. It's true, and you have a realistic shot at also, like right. everybody we right. mentioned. You have a true realistic shot at getting him. That's very true. I oh, think man. you can get Dinwiddie. You know, he's coming off an injury, and and Brooklyn's loaded with guards. They don't want to pay big money to, to resign him. So I think Dinwiddie's a, a realistic possibility. I just don't know what this current front office thinks about how his fit would be with Levine and the rest of them. That's very true. And also, you get the, the guys who who's probably not going to be as, at his best initially, right? But has something to play for, right? So you want to get the best yeah. out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Mark, I wanna, let's, let me get to this uh, final topic here. And I was <laughs> got to talk to you about Scotty Pippen, man. Oh, Chris yeah. boy, Scotty, uh, Scotty Pippen saying some things out here. Uh, Chris and I always take what Scotty say with a grain of salt because this is kind of always what we see from Scotty and, and yeah. how he speaks. Every year it's, it's something. Are you surprised by these things that he's saying? Are you kind of like, what are you doing, Scotty? Or is it kind of like par for the course for you? No, I've been involved either interviewing Scotty Pippen or or hearing of his interviews for the last 30 years. So that doesn't surprise me at all. The one one thing that was hilarious was the one shot was was crop with a big bottle of bourbon right in front of him. And I'm like... You probably shouldn't have drank so much of it before you started the interview, you know. Yeah, it's forty six percent. It is no joke. It is no joke, man. Yeah, like it, man. And I mean, it, it came out when it when it happened, and I sent it to Chris, and Chris was like, "Oh, Scotty's doing it again." Like, I'm no, like, no, yeah, Mark, every year, every year, Mark, I, I should Mark every year. I expect Mark Pippen to say something kind of crazy, outlandish. Once a year, yeah. he does this once a year, and it happened. For a long time, I thought, I thought this year was going to be done. Like, oh, my God, I went through a whole year about Scotty saying something weird. And then, you know, this happens. No. You know, what the unfortunate thing was in watching the Dan Patrick clip, I've seen it a few times now, right. and and I hesitate to say this, but it almost seemed like Scotty didn't know what the word race, racist meant. Right. You know, he was, yeah. he, was describing, he was describing someone who was disloyal. Right. And he just – and then and Dan Patrick asked him point blank, do you think – Phil Jackson is a racist and he goes, I have no problem with that. Like, yeah. that's not what I'm saying, but okay, you can, you can throw that on too. You know, yeah. I just thought the whole thing got really uncomfortable and, and Dan Patrick, you could see was trying to help him mm-hmm. by saying, wait a minute, by, by saying that not giving you the ball in that situation was a racial decision. You know, you calling him a racist and he, he gave Scotty an easy out and Scotty in his infinite wisdom decided he would just dig himself in deeper. So I, I just thought that was a, a tortured sequence there. And, yeah. and, you know, I just thought he got himself in a bad situation. He had an easy out. He got a lifeline. He could have grabbed onto, pulled himself up out of the water. And instead he just went down for the count. 
Yeah, I mean, I watched Scotty. You know, it's it's amazing as a fan when you, because you know, as a fan, you watch these teams. You know, stuff goes on, right? You know, everyone's not right. perfect, or not. But when you, you know, put back the curtain, it's like uh, it's just. I'm still a big fan of Scotty, but like, if you gonna come out like David and I talk about this off off, off camera, you're, if you're going to say so much racist, he said. By the way, he said a racial move. I don't know what that means, but whatever. <laughs> but if you're going to say so much racist, either like you said, Mark, he doesn't know what it means, or but you have to present evidence. Like you, yeah. you just can't throw it out. You gotta like yeah, say, right. you know, a basketball play does not is evidence is not. Right. So you have to. You know, and you just can't say, "Well, I was in the locker room." Okay, fine. Did he coach a ton of players? Did a ton of teammates? Yeah. You know, are they are they supporting you? Are they backing you up in this? Do they have tape? You know, I think Mark, I think you said that. Like I said, Mark, I think he 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 um doesn't quite know what it means, and I think he's using the, using the term loosely. And I well, then he went on to say that Michael Jordan basically positioned the cameras so that he could give this speech to Steve Kerr about if they double team me, be ready because I'll pass you the ball. Like there was a whole production of the documentary crew that Michael was just playing to the camera. Right. They're down, you know, they have a chance to win the championship and he's worried about where the cameras are. So he would look good talking to Steve Kerr. You know, that, was, that was almost more ridiculous than, well, than the Phil Jackson. I'm going to fight you against that. I'm going to fight you against that, Mark. I don't know if my debut feel. I think, oh. I think, I think Mike, no, 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 I, no. I'm not, I'm not saying, I think Mike do the cameras. They obviously, he's Mike, he's, how many championships he won? This is like nothing to him, right? That was the fifth. Right, the fifth, right? So, like, he's – I'm pretty sure he knew the camera. He does being filmed. The whole team knew he was being filmed. Dude, I'm pretty sure he was about to put on a show. Michael Jordan. No, 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 no. I'm not saying – I'm not saying – At that point no, in the game, like, you're not paying Don't no, act like he didn't at know all. the camera was there. At all. Like he, come on, man. He knew the camera was there. He knew it would be cool. Well, he's, I give him credit because he's Mike. He's like, I'm so dope. Hey, guess what? Maybe W all game, man. Come on, being – you know, this is probably going to happen like this. Okay, doing it. And it's cool for the, cool for the thing. I think he knew what's going on. That's how good he is. Scotty said it was all fake, that he was just playing in the camera. But I don't understand. I think – but well, He didn't even mean I, that. He said that, Scottie, if, you know, if Stockton hadn't come over to double team, he would have never passed it. Well, yeah, <laughs> uh, Michael is smart enough to know how to get a winning basketball play. If Steve Kerr's got a wide-open free-throw line jumper, he's smart enough to give him the ball. But the Seriously. whole thing to insinuate yeah. that, that that whole sideline thing was choreographed, like right. it's the WWE or whatever. Yeah. I mean, right. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, Chris, I can't roll that. No, no, I, I'm, 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 just, I'm just saying the part about him nodding, he knew the camera was there. He's trying to be, this, this is why Michael's great. He knew, no, he, he made it look cool. That's all. The whole part about it, yeah, about, about, Orchestrating it and 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 that and like acting like you could like predict what's going on, on the court. No, that play was there that all 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 game. And Mike was like, "This would be cool if I say this for the cameras." And it happens, and it, it happened. But I, that's why that's why to your point, I don't know what Mark, what Scotty means when he said that, like orchestrated. Because like I, I I don't know what that means. I, I really don't know. But yeah, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad you well, Scotty was obviously. Scotty was obviously so offended by that documentary that he just can't let it go. I mean, he's, he's still seething. Yes. Still seething about the way he was portrayed by Michael in several instances, and he just can't let it go. I think for the rest of his life, that's that's going to be with him. He, he's just Agreed. not going to let that go. Completely I wonder. Agree. It's like the straw that broke the broke the camera's back. That was it. That's the last straw. He's like, I'm not. I can't take it anymore. I wonder. See, does, is anybody else you know backing up Scotty in this? Is anybody coming mm. out? Is Ron Harper, anybody, any of his old teammates mm. at all? I say anything to the media? I know, I know there are other people are trying I mean, to. Scott Scotty's radioactive right now. His team, nobody wants to touch him. You know, it'd be interesting. We're we're gonna tape tape our uh, "Give Me the Hot Sauce" tomorrow, and, and I know Stacy King loves Scotty. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah. it'd be interesting to see if he, what he's got to say about it. So, um, you know, after you get done listening to this podcast, check out that one, the, the new episode. Because, you know, uh, yeah, cross-promotion. So it's all about Dave. That's why he's um, Mark Shadowski, baby. <laughs> because I, I'm curious I'm curious if, if Stacey will really – because I, I know that, that he, he felt like what's, what Scotty said was way out of bounds. I'll be curious to see how much he wants to say on the record about it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think a lot of teammates are also waiting to see the book also before they say anything. They don't want to. Yeah. yeah. Am I in the book? Right. <laughs> Let me see what you say about me. Okay. All right. All right. I'm ready. Let's go. On. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. um, Mark, before I let you get out of here, um, I'd be remiss if I don't, didn't ask you about uh, Bulls Outsiders and how you felt about us um, because John and Matt and myself always care. <laughs> we always <laughs> these kind of things and these kind of stories about what you would felt. So, cause we always felt like, and I'm speaking for Matt, cause Matt always felt like he was bothering people. <laughs> we were like the kids, you know, poking you and getting on your nerves and doing things. But I always said like, well, Mark is a professional. If we were getting on his nerves, he he would either let us know or or we would know, you know, some kind of way what was going on. But how did you feel? Well, about as, you, us, as you remember, I would usually watch the first half back in the green room and then I was, I was gone in the second yes. half because you know, that, that's when I'd get to work. And, you know, I, I'd watch it on a little monitor close to my desk while I could write, write some scripts and make some notes and check some stats because, you know, my job as host was to be as, as prepared as I could to set up my analysts. So, you know, first half was for fun. You know, we, we could tell some stories and laugh at, at some of the uh, futility of the bull squad we were watching. But, uh, you know, then it was time to get to work. But, um, you know, you guys – brought a lot of energy to, to the whole process i know that uh that will and kendall really enjoyed watching the games with you guys and i think that loosened them up as well um because there were times where before you guys were around where it'd be pretty quiet back there you know we'd, we'd watch the game and uh you know uh kendall would be on his phone and you know will be talking to his son over dinner and you know so <laughs> it, it just it just it brought a new energy to the thing and i think some of the highlights of, of some of those post-game shows especially after a loss was when we throw it over to you guys and we would just mess around and laugh for, for two or three minutes and kind of lighten the mood because you get so tired of the same thing saying, well, you know, this guy's bad. This guy needs to do this. You know, it becomes repetitive after a while with a losing team. It is, it is difficult to maintain energy and to come up with new topics on a, on a nightly basis and having you guys there kind of gave us a different perspective because we saw you living and dying in every possession. And I think, Mm-hmm. It, it it kind of re-energized us as well. Marshanowski, man, say something about us. I don't know what to feel, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just want you to know, Mark, uh, when, when this podcast comes out, I'm going to replay what you said about me at the beginning over and over and over again, and I'm going to clip that, and I'm going to keep that personally for myself. I might uh, print it, take it out in print form and get a poster of it and put it up on all and stuff like that. I might do something with it. He's going he's gonna <laughs> to play the podcast on his phone as he sleeps. And I, <laughs> and I and I should add that, I should add that Matt and uh, John did a great job as well. And actually, C. Red Fred did a really good job. It was yeah. it was a really tough decision for Kevin Anderson and Kevin Cross to decide, you know, which of the three guys are going to go with. And you know, but but I'm I'm sincere. I'm not just saying that because I'm on your show. You you stood out as somebody that had a really good knowledge base. It was a real good communicator. And I thought that for that show, you needed someone who was comfortable sharing their views on camera because that's not easy to do. I yeah, mean, yeah. you're asking three guys with, with no 
well, John had done some commercials and acting and stuff, but right, you're right. acting, asking guys to go in front of the camera when that's totally foreign to them. And you just had that, that ease about yourself that I knew would translate very quickly. Oh man. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> this is crazy. Put that put that on your resume, Dave. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? That is that is my resume, Chris. That's it. Like just Dave, do you have any uh, <laughs> Dave, do you have anybody uh even 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 a recommendation? Sure. Yeah, just just read this. That's all you gotta do. Just read this. Just read this. Mm-hmm. A legend said this to me. So yeah, just read that right there. Um, Mark you can clip that you. off. You can put it on a DVD and just hand it to the perspective. That's it. That's it, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, man. Oh, you get ready. You get ready. This is coming with video and everything. It's going to be a production. I'm That's probably, right. That's music right. going in the background. Um, you can follow <laughs> him on Twitter at Mark Chodowski. You can check him out on ABC7 doing the sports there. And you can check him out on Gimme the Hot Sauce, where he is the host with himself and Stacey King. It is it is a really excellent podcast yeah. where you'll hear some really excellent stories and incredible guests. Honestly, you guys should really check that out. Mark, this is a dream come true. <laughs> thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> I've been wanting this for about a year and a half. And thank you, hey, man. Ma- thank you for doing this. Hey, hey, I'll say one thing, Mark, before we go. Uh, I, I, watching you on TV for years, it was, it was great. But then I never really got the chance to hear you actually have an opinion about something, really, until you started coming on the score. And when you came with a score, yeah. you came on like you had stuff bottled up for years, and you were just like a pen, fat, a pen, you rattle, rattle. I'm like, I like that guy. I like him on camera, but when he got on the microphone on the radio, he had an opinion and he had passed it back it up and he was smart. And I was like, now nah, okay, that's that's the real, that's the real mark. Okay. So I that was that was a revelation because I, I appreciated you, you know, spending yourself a little bit, getting a chance, getting a chance to be out there and be on the score and, and actually share your thoughts, you know. Yeah, I almost lost my job a couple of times because that. But other than that, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, just know it was appreciated. You know what? We, we, we don't use that to be in the podcast as a tease, and then like we just what, what's him? Yeah, someday, know. someday when I'm officially retired, I'll tell I'll tell you a great story. Oh. So that, 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 there's a tease for you. <laughs> and I, and we'll be ready for it. <laughs> we'll be ready for it. Mark, thank you, man. Thank you for coming on. Uh, enjoy your evening. Enjoy the game, man. Thank you for coming on the show. We appreciate you, man. It was my pleasure. Continued success with the show, guys. Loved it. Yeah, thank you, man. And make sure y'all check out our show, Ball and Ball on Bulls. Follow us on Twitter at Ball and Ball Sports. Excuse me, at Ball Sports and Ball Sports One. I am all over the place right now because Mark should ask you. Listen to us every single place that you can have a podcast. If you have a podcast on your stove where you can go plug in and listen, I promise you we're there. Listen to us. Enjoy us. Love us. We're also on YouTube, Chris. Yeah, man. Uh, yes. Dave said it all, man. And uh, yeah, Mark Shadowski is on our show. Hey, he's still there. Look at him. He's right there on the camera. Uh, yeah. Check us out on the website, bossbrooks.com. Dave said it's on YouTube. We also have a, uh, if you check out the ball feed, we have a new podcast. Uh, it's like, a, I think maybe we're going to post it once, twice, two times a week. No, I forgot the name of the water cooler. Water. Water cooler, yes. Water cooler. Yes, real quick, you know, you know, real quick hits about sports and um, what's going on during the week. Check that out. And uh, thank you to all of our fans who donate. It's a handful of you guys, but, you know, you guys have been loyal. You know, Kevin and anyone else who donates, a buck or two. And uh, Mara, as Mark Marshall could tell you, man, podcast game is hard. So you can't live off it, but we appreciate the dollars and the, and the cents. So that's about it, man. 
for my man C Dub, for our new friend Mark Shinowski. <laughs> no, my new friend. He's been your friend. Nope, no, he's my friend, Chris. I'm sorry, I'm not sharing. I, I thought you. Matt, John, and, and Mark were not my friend because I'm uh, your friend. Is that how it goes? Yeah, they're cool. No, you cool with them. This is just for me, bro. Like, oh, okay. This is just for me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No. I'm sorry. You're my guy, but I'm sorry. Damn. <laughs> Y'all be cool. We out. Peace. Chris is my friend now. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs>